You all are probably not aware of this, but Mark Callahan and I are self-proclaimed Mediterranean cuisine experts. Um, Let's just say that we highly frequent some of our local Mediterranean restaurants. And specifically, our area of expertise is lamb and beef shawarma. Now, we, uh, both of us, we, we really like Sahara's in Beaumont. Uh, and then we also really like Mr. Kebab's that's on Richmond Road. Uh, we've tried others. And there are still some that we haven't tried yet, but those, those two are our clear favorites. And let me say this, because inevitably, somebody's going to ask if we've tried Athenian Grill. Um, two things. First of all, here in Kentucky, uh, we pronounce it Athenian Grill. <laughs> and then the second thing um, is they don't have shawarma. So it's a, it's a great restaurant, but... No shawarma, which is our area of expertise. So um, Sahara's, if you're familiar with it, they close for the summer. Uh, And so we've been branching out these uh, past couple of weeks and trying some new places. And so just this past week, we tried a Mediterranean place in the food court at the mall. Now, before you pass judgment, um, you know, nothing against mall food courts, But if you're going to be a self-proclaimed expert, you've got to try them all. And so uh, it's called JoJo's Euros, and it's located between the Sabaros and the Cajun Oasis, if you're familiar with the food court. Um, So we've only had it once, but it was really, really good. It was good. Um, and we enjoyed it, and we'll definitely go back. And uh, I, I share all of that with you because I wanted to tell you about an interaction uh, that, I ha- that I had there at uh, JoJo's Euros uh, this past Thursday. Um, as I was there ordering my food, I was talking with one of the young men that w- was working behind the counter, and I, he found out that he's from Egypt. And he and his cousin came to the States about three years ago. And as we were chatting, I noticed on the back wall of their place that they had this large neon sign. It's similar to like what you might think of like a large open neon sign, but it didn't say open. Instead, what it said was halal, five-letter word, H-A-L-A-L. Now, I didn't know what that word meant, so I asked my new friend from Egypt what that word meant. And he told me that it had to do with a certain way that meat has to be prepared by Muslim law as defined by the Koran. And so, literally, it's Arabic for permissible. And so, that word is very important to those who are Muslim. They're they're going to look for that word if they come to a Mediterranean restaurant. Well, I couldn't help but also notice another five-letter word that wasn't in neon 
on the back wall of their place. But that was instead in big, bold letters on this young man's forearm. And it was the five-letter word, J-E-S-U-S. It's hard to miss it. And so I asked him about his tattoo. I I told him how much I liked his tattoo. And he was very busy, but he stopped everything just for a moment. And he looked at me directly in the eyes, and he said these words to me. He said, he is all that I have now. And then he smiled, and then he went back to work. And, I, I mean, I had like 500 follow-up questions I wanted to ask, <laughs> but he was busy. Um, but I'll go back, not just because their food was good, but because I want to know more of his story. It was just such a stark contrast, this Arabic word referring to the Muslim law in neon on the back wall, and the name Jesus in big block letters on his forearm. There's something powerful about the name of Jesus. Gregory read to us from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's a familiar story about a lame man in his 40s who'd been crippled from birth, He was carried to the temple every day and placed at the gate called Beautiful. Now, best we can tell, according to the historian Josephus, this gate was made of Corinthian brass, which was exceptional for its time. It was more desired uh, than silver or gold. And the gate itself was massive, about 75 feet high, and had these enormous double doors. And it was at this gate called Beautiful that the lame man was placed every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. We're also told that this was the time of prayer, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and so it was a very busy time of the day. There would have been a lot of action. There had been a lot of people present going and, and coming, and so... Peter and John are are on their way to the temple, and the man asks them for money. Peter has this great reply. It's a a reply that could be sung, right, if you're familiar with the the song, but uh, as Barry did earlier, I won't sing it for you. Um, but, But Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Luke goes on to say that Peter took the man by the right hand, helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. So he jumped up, began the walk. Now, I want us to stop here just for a second and appreciate what happened here because It really, it truly was unbelievable what occurred. Um, 
I thought about it a lot this week because um, two weeks ago, I did something to my shoulder. I, I'm still not exactly sure what I did to it. It's this, it's this movement right here. So I think it's something like, like rotator cuff. I don't know, but I was working out with Milbrian, my 16-year-old daughter, and I see you smiling. Listen, <laughs> my girl back there is strong, all right? And uh, so that's my workout partner. And so I, we were working out together, and uh, I don't know what I did, but I did something to it. And, man, I, I don't know. I just, it, it hasn't been right, and I don't feel like it's going to get right anytime soon, right? And I'm, as I'm getting older, uh, I don't heal as quickly um, as I used to. My point is, it's, you know, our bodies are, are, are a miracle. God has miraculously made our bodies to heal but it takes time for that to occur. And what's so impressive to me about this miracle is that Luke tells us that it happened instantly. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Forty-plus years of atrophy. And this man's crippled legs and feet are instantly operational. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this man felt? The sudden surge of strength filling his legs. And for the first time, though I, he had watched plenty of men and, and women and children run and jump, for the first time ever, he walked, he jumped, and he ran instantly. Now, it's, it's really easy to, to get caught up in the healing because it's, it's, pretty, it's miraculous. It's awesome. But we can get caught up in the healing and totally skip over what happens next, which, in my opinion, is the primary reason this man was healed. You see, something bigger than just this man's physical healing was happening here. Luke says in verse 8, then he, this lame man who had been healed, went with Peter and John into the temple courts. Not only was this moment the first time ever in his life to walk, jump, and run, but it was the first time ever in his life to enter into the temple courts. The bigger picture here is not that a lame man had instantly turned into one who could walk. The bigger picture is that the power of the name of Jesus had turned a despised outcast into one who could stand on his two feet and walk through the gates into the temple. That's the point. This is not just a random display of power. 
For you see, as beautiful and enormous as these temple gates were, they were useless for this beggar. Because of his disability, the law prohibited him for life from ever walking through them. Forever being carried through them. Forever entering through the gates. Yet Jesus said, I am the gate. And the power of the name of Jesus did something in the life of this man that the law was powerless to do. He transformed one who was rejected into one who was accepted. And the people were filled with wonder. In the following verses, verses 11 through 26, we have another speech. It's another sermon of Peter's. And uh, we, don't, we don't have time today to look at all of it, so uh, we're going to split it up a little bit. Um, I'm going to look at some of it today, and then we'll look at some more of it uh, the next time that I'm able to preach. Um, but today, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And so, um, if you don't have your Bibles open already... Uh, please have your Bibles open to these verses here in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 16, because we're going to spend some time just walking through these together. Um, Here at the outset of Acts, there have been these two miraculous events that have occurred um, that have left crowds of people astonished and amazed. In Acts chapter 2, there was the pouring out of the Spirit, And in Acts chapter 3, the healing of this lame man. And in both cases, Peter takes advantage of a captive audience to preach a sermon. And so, let's pick up in verse 11. Luke writes, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's colonnade, which Solomon's colonnade was just a large porch area um, that was part of the outer court of the temple where many people could gather, obviously. So Peter and John and the beggar were there in the court of the temple, and they were mobbed by the crowds. People were running at them. It makes me think of when uh, maybe you see a video of a famous athlete or a movie star or a pop singer, and they try to go out in the public, uh, and and they step off of a bus, or they walk into a restaurant, and instantly, right, they're just mobbed by crazed people running at them. I think in a situation like this one, one could be tempted to get the big head. Maybe just a little bit. 
After all, Peter's becoming a famous teacher in Jerusalem. It's a great story. It's really like a, it's a rag-to-riches kind of story. It's, it's one of those stories that we love, right? An uneducated fisherman is becoming this respected, popular, sought-out-after, people-running-to-him teacher. But listen to how Peter begins his sermon in verse 12. Peter says to the crowd, people of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Peter, surrounded by an amazed crowd, began by saying, it wasn't us, it was Jesus. It wasn't us, it was Jesus. Peter takes no credit for the miracle, but points only to the power of Jesus' name. And I think there's a very, very important principle here for all Jesus followers to take note. Whenever God uses us, whenever God does something through us, whether it's big or small, it's an opportunity for us to proclaim Jesus and not to promote self. Peter purposefully, at the outset, turns their gaze. He turns their attention off of himself and off of John and off of this healed beggar and to Jesus. With his words, he makes Christ the center of attention. It's, uh, it's been a while um, since I've told this story. I was just thinking of this man the other day. But uh, Kelly Ferguson's father, Jim Oldak, was a member here at Southside for many years. And he was a shepherd here as well uh, before he died back in 2013. And he was always encouraging me. He was a, that was one of his roles as he saw it, was to be a great encourager of Barrett. And after a sermon that he particularly liked one Sunday morning, he came quickly up to me and he said, Barrett, he said, you are the man. And God gave me this quick reply. I said, Jim, I'm not the man, but I know the man. But I know the man. See, it was a comment to make Christ the center of our attention. Peter says, it wasn't us. It was Jesus. 
And Peter goes to great lengths to make sure they understand that it's not by his power, it's not by his piety or his righteousness or his goodness that the man is healed, but rather it's by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. This is really, really important. And it's not just because God wants us to be humble. That's not what this is about. Peter purposefully distanced himself from what has happened because he wants the crowd to know that Jesus is still at work. That Jesus hasn't left the building. That Jesus hasn't retired. He's still at work. He's alive. And he has ascended to the right hand of God, and he has all authority. And he's still active today when we call upon the power of his name to transform life. Look, it's no coincidence that in verse 13, Peter refers to God as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of our fathers. It's no coincidence. He does that purposefully because this is a direct reference to Exodus 3. Every good Jew in the audience would have immediately recognized these words as God's self-description to Moses through the burning bush. And if you recall, God sends Moses to Pharaoh in order to deliver his people from slavery. And Moses asks God, in what name am I to do these things? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to them. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name for which I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. And Peter is telling this crowd, he's saying that this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God who spoke to Moses through the burning bush, Yahweh, the great I am, has glorified Jesus. And in these last days, God is active in the world through the power of his name. Then, in verses 13 through 15, Peter backs it up. He shares with the crowd just how he knows this to be true. As he would say in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter would say there in that letter, we do not follow cleverly invented stories when we tell you about the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I love that. He's, Peter's saying, look, we're not making stories up. 
when we tell you about the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You see, he stands before them as eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, this is how he knows that God's power is now found in the name of Jesus. Peter was a witness to the resurrection. The rejected one had become the resurrected one. He had seen it with his own two eyes. These, this, these verses are, I don't know how much time you've spent here, but these verses are awesome. I mean, they're just some of the most descriptive words in all the New Testament about our rejection of Jesus, of man's rejection of the Christ, of humanity's rejection of the Son of God. If you're ever curious how we responded, how humanity responded when Jesus came to earth, just read here. Read what Peter has to say. According to Peter, it was a fourfold rejection. And listen, Peter knows a thing or two about rejecting Jesus. So from his own personal experience, he's able to describe the rejection of Jesus in this profound way to emphasize this for us. Rejection number one. Peter says, you handed him over to be killed. You did it. You initiated it. You handed him over to be killed. That's rejection number one. Rejection number two. You disowned him before Pilate even though Pilate had decided to let him go. Are you kidding me? Pilate, Pilate had given us an out. Had given us a way out from rejection number one. We didn't take it. We disowned him. Rejection number three, you disowned the holy and righteous one. The only one ever to live a sinless and perfect life and instead asked that a murderer be released to you. In other words, you had Jesus murdered in order to Free a murderer. And then rejection four. None of that's made it into your heart yet. You killed the author of life. Do you hear what Peter's saying in that? You killed the very one who gave you life. 
So there's no question about it. Jesus was rejected by humanity. But God. Don't you love that little phrase? It just shows up all over the New Testament. But God, had it not been the Lord. But God raised him from the dead. Peter says, what you clearly rejected, God has certainly resurrected. And we are eyewitnesses of this. We saw it. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then there's this great verse. It's up there with John 3.16. It's Acts 3.16. When you're drawn to read John 3.16, just flip over and read Acts 3.16 along with it. It's this great verse. Peter writes... Peter says, and it's, it's by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. In Acts 3, this, 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 this healing power is not given for all the misery of the world to be set right. It's not why it's given to Peter here. This healing power is given as visible proof of the power of the name of Jesus Christ to totally transform lives. That's what's happening. Peter summarizes in verse 16 by saying the healing of this man is an illustration. When the power of Jesus' name combines with the presence of our faith in his name, then you have the possibility for complete healing. When the power of his name combines with the presence of our faith, then there is the possibility for complete healing. There's nothing magical about just saying his name. There's nothing mystical about simply speaking his name. It's when the power of Jesus' name, the power of who he is and all that he's done for us, when that power is taken hold of by faith, even faith the size of a mustard seed, lives are transformed. Rejected ones become accepted ones. (laughs) 
And I, I, and I want you to know, this is an aside, but I, I want to speak this to you. Um, I don't think Peter's just referring to the faith of the lame man. I think he's also referring to his faith and to John's faith. There was surely some faith present in the lame man, but it was also the presence of Peter's faith and the presence of John's faith that called upon the power of Jesus' name to bring complete healing into the life of this man. And one of the primary reasons I I believe that is because Luke is the one who also tells us about the healing of a paralytic man in Luke chapter 5. You remember the story. Some some men were, were carrying their friend on a mat, tried to get him to Jesus, and they couldn't because of the crowd. And so they went up on the roof, lowered him through the tiles just right in front of Jesus. And Luke writes in verse 20 of chapter 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I don't follow many people on Twitter, but uh, one, of the, one of the people that I do follow on Twitter, his name is Benjamin Watson, and um, he was a football player at Georgia and also in the NFL, and, um, but he's written some books on, on race and it's a very outspoken uh, Christian man, but here he tweeted this week, he tweeted, tweeted this this week. He said, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus healed a paralyzed man because of his friend's faith. And this is what he wrote. I loved it. He said, this is why your circle matters. This is why your circle matters. Young people, this is why your circle matters. Surround yourself with people of faith. Matters. Makes a difference. Who you surround yourself with matters. Who you spend time with matters. Because the power of the name of Jesus works in our lives to bring complete healing through our faith and through the faith of those in our circle. In the power of the name of Jesus, in the presence of faith, gives us the possibility for complete healing. And what, this is a wonderful word, and I'll con- conclude with this. This word in uh, verse 16 that's translated complete healing uh, in the NIV 84, it, it's a great word in, in the Greek. Um, it's only found here in all the New Testament, just one word. But it was used to refer to the unblemished animal that could be offered and sacrificed at the temple. That's that's how the word was used. To refer to that unblemished animal that could be offered and sacrificed at the temple. So using this term here, to describe the healing of this lame man is particularly telling because he 
was considered blemished. He could not enter the sanctuary. He could not walk through the gates. But now, through faith in the power of the name of Jesus, he was seen as completely whole. The rejected one had become the accepted one. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, God has exalted him to the highest place given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's something powerful about the name of Jesus. This morning, how... Do you respond to his name? How do you respond to what the name Jesus represents? All who he is and all that he's done for us. It's quite simple, really. Peter lays it out for us. Based upon Peter's testimony here in Acts chapter 3, we have two options. We can repent or we can reject. Those are the options. There's not a middle ground. There's not a middle road. It's one or the other. We can repent and submit to him as our risen king. Or we can reject him Again, make it rejection number five. Do not reject him again. Peter says, the rejected one has become the resurrected one. He has transformed my life. And he can transform your life. Pent, trust in him, and find complete healing in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Thank you that your Holy Spirit moves and breathes and makes these the words on this page alive to us. Lord Jesus, we we repent. We repent. Repentance is not a one-time action. Repentance is a stance. It's a, repentance is a lifestyle. 
Repentance is a commitment to turn. Turn to you and to submit our lives. Every morning to you as our risen Lord and King. Lord, we acknowledge that we are part of a race who rejected you. That our sin and our selfishness did not recognize who you were. We rejected you. We reject you no more. We repent. Submit our lives to you new and afresh today. Lord, use us for your kingdom. Not so we can promote ourselves, but so that we may proclaim Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.